Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is a special Parkinson's Awareness Month episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Today, I chat with Jimmy Choi. The first time Jimmy and I spoke, I was thinking about doing like this uh, five questions things for everybody at the end of the interview. And I uh, always forget to ask people the five questions, but I remember to ask Jimmy those five questions. And so instead of ending this episode with that, let's kick it off with those five questions. All right. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give someone who's diagnosed with Parkinson's today? Educate yourself, but don't overeducate yourself. Great. That's great advice. What, What are the three words you would use to describe your Parkinson's experience? Can I swear? Sure. <laughs> it's shitty. It's rewarding. And it's educational. Yeah. What is the one thing you'd say to a caregiver or care partner of someone with Parkinson's? Please be patient. That's good. Yeah. If Parkinson's was a person you bumped into on the street, what would you tell it? Um, I would probably say, you know, watch where you're going, buddy. Get out of my way. I've got a places I need to get to. I love that. Uh, and finally, what do you look forward to in your future with Parkinson's? Um, I look forward to the next challenge. Each Wednesday in April, episodes featured new interviews and never before heard bits of interviews that I've collected over the past two seasons. From people with Parkinson's and their advocacy to the leaders of Parkinson's organizations around the world that we're counting on to support us in our journeys and help drive research for new treatment options. These are the keepers of hope, the difference makers, the believers. They know you can lead a great life today with Parkinson's and that tomorrow, no matter how far in the future that may be, we can all live lives without Parkinson's. Jimmy Choi's Parkinson's journey took him from rock bottom to competing on American Ninja Warrior. This may be difficult for him to grip. You can see the tremors in those hands. There he goes. Come on, Jimmy Choi. Well, he's a very fit, five feet, eight, 165 pounds, and what an accomplishment if he can make it through this obstacle as well. Come on, Jimmy, oh. hold on. And he's done it! Jimmy Troy defying the odds! I first talked to Jimmy in February of 2019. Months later, we would meet in New York City as members of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council. The first part of today's interview is from the first time we ever talked to each other. The back half is from a week ago. We get into coronavirus, DBS, and more. One of the running themes of any conversation with Jimmy is food. He loves it. I love it. (laughs) So we talk about it a lot. It comes up from the get-go. Jimmy Choi, welcome to When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, Larry. How are you? Uh, I'm supposed to ask you about chocolate cake made with mayonnaise. (laughs) That is the best thing ever. What is that about? (laughs) There's a a chocolate cake uh, here in the Chicago area made by a uh, company company called Patillo's. And um, their secret ingredient for years has been adding a cup of mayonnaise into their mix. And it, keep, it keeps it moist. Uh, and it's it's very very good. John, Jonathan Mackin uh, sends his returns. Yeah. I, I figured that was him. <laughs> <laughs> he says you're quite the foodie. Uh, well, I, I I love to eat. That's for sure. I, you know, <laughs> Don't we all? Right. Yeah, exactly. I joke all the time. I say, you know, I, all, all this exercise, I, I keep claiming is, for, is to make myself better as a Parkinson's patient, but it really is to, just to eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I got to exercise. I can't just do the eating part. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> all right, Jimmy. Well, let's dive into this. I want to start with you, with where you were born. So I always joke about this. I said, you know, just like everything in the 70s, I was made in Taiwan. My yeah. son was born in Taiwan. Where, what? Oh, really? Yeah, he was born in uh, Tainan. Okay, I was in Taipei. Okay. Um, yeah, we I still, love Taipei, by the way. What a beautiful um, city. It is. And the food, you, oh, man. See, now you got me hungry just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your favorite food there? Mine's the spicy beef noodle soup. Oh, you know what? That's, that, that's always always a, a go-to um but you know what i love stinky tofu oh yeah well not too stinky but i i, I i've had the stinky <laughs> tofu i've been to the sheelan night market yes 
and uh, it, I love it. I mean, with, with, the turnip cakes there were amazing. Yep, the tur- you know the, the oyster pancakes are great as well. Um, but you know, for, for, I'm a sucker for good stinky tofu and the, the fried ones. What do you remember about your time in Taiwan as a kid? Um, I mean, you, the things that you remember as a kid is so different, right? Because everything was so big back then. But then when you go back and you're like, "Holy crap! I I live in I lived in this tiny little apartment in here with with my two brothers and and my parents and my grandmother." Um, my my best memories of um, living in Taiwan is really just how accessible everything is. Um, you know, if we wanted to go to the supermarket, we just walked downstairs, and if we wanted to go, uh, you know, have a snack or go play with our friends, you know, we just ran we ran amok in in the the apartment complex um, from door to door and just there were essentially no rules you know for how we played versus when I came to the US and I was uh, just about 10 years old and if I wanted to go to the store we had to get in the car and and, and so we couldn't go anywhere unless someone was there to drive us um, if we wanted to go to our friend's house we couldn't go without supervision because you have to walk or bike you know quite the distance to get there it was just it was a big culture shock for me The move from Taiwan to the U.S. was back in 1985. Jimmy's grandparents were there already. I asked him what his parents were like back then. Uh, My dad is probably the hardest working person I've ever known. Um, All throughout my childhood, I remember him, uh, you know, working his tail off. Uh, to provide for us, to provide the best that he can, even though, you know, now that hindsight is always twenty twenty, and now that I'm grown, I realize a lot of the sacrifices that he, he's made to provide us with things um, and opportunities that we took advantage of. And we didn't necessarily realize at the time, you know, just how much he was sacrificing uh, for us. And my mom, you know, growing up, she was a uh, stay-at-home she took great care of us. Um, she taught us the essentials like cooking. Um, you know, I, I like to think that I'm a pretty good cook today because of her um, and and her upbringing. Uh, but then when we first when we moved to the U.S., we started from scratch, and she went from being a stay-at-home mom to uh, um, a self-made um, you know career woman. So both of them made huge sacrifices, uh, and and even to this day, you know, my parents are semi-retired, um, but the help that they provide, not only with me and in my daily struggles living with Parkinson's, but just the, the love that they show my kids, uh, my nephews, my nieces, um, I'm finally able to see them, uh, you know, be free and play with their grandkids and and. Um, it makes me happy to, to see them in this, but also makes me a little bit, a um, little bit sad that they worked so hard to provide for me and my brothers that they didn't get to enjoy, you know, life as as, as younger adults. After they moved to the U.S., Jimmy's dad soon started his own restaurant point of sales company, selling computer systems for restaurants. In 1985. No one had ever heard of computers in restaurants. This was gutsy, risky, bold, very ninja warrior-like. His mom, the bookkeeper of the family business. What did you want to be when you were growing up? <laughs> I wanted to be a lawyer when I, when I grew up. <laughs> did you have like a little briefcase when you were <laughs> 10 I, years old? I, I, I didn't have a briefcase, but um, but talking to my grandfather uh, at the time, he's like, you know, the way you talk, the way you you debate with your brothers and and, and other family members and friends, um, you'd be a really good lawyer. And so, and, and I take my grandfather's uh, um, advice and also his his teachings seriously. Um, so that's what I did. I, I, I convinced myself that I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, when I grew up. Now, that all changed <laughs> when I went into high school and realized how much work it took to become a lawyer. And <laughs> <laughs> so you, you lost your drive for uh, the, the law in high school. What did you find in high school? Um, well, I found, I found my wife. Um, she's a high school sweetheart of mine. Um, but but um, I think what, what, I, what I did find was uh, that I... I really enjoyed dabbling and with computers. Um, my brothers and I, we, you know, we were 
I guess you can consider the, you know, back in the eighties, this, this Commodore 64 kids, right. And the, and the Apple IIe kids. I was right there with you. Yeah. So, um, that was my first computer and, and, and it just, it just didn't end from there. And then when my dad started his company, of course, providing computer systems for restaurants, we had access to, um, a lot of the, you know, the early IBM, uh, XT machines and AT machines that the other kids didn't have access to because of the nature of my dad's business. I studied finance and computer programming, um, and then I've been in the uh, IT industry ever since. Let's go back to your sweetheart. Tell me about Cheryl. We were a part of a group of friends when I was a senior. I finally mustered enough courage to ask her out on a date. I spent a good part of my four years at Purdue University driving on the weekends two hours over to University of Illinois to see her. Um, and we kept that up uh, all the way through college. Uh, and we ultimately got married in the year 2000. And you have two kids? Karina, who's 11, and Mason, who is nine years old. F- fatherhood's uh, pretty special, isn't it? It, it really is. It, it changes a person. I think it, I wouldn't be where I am without without my kids. They're, they both play a huge part in, in how I live today with Parkinson's versus how I would have or how I did live before we had kids. I, had, I was diagnosed prior to having children. When were you diagnosed? I was 27 years old. It was 2003. Um, I was diagnosed, and and really, I didn't, I didn't even think anything was wrong, um, because all of the, at the time, minor symptoms that I was feeling could be explained away with everyday life. Sure. So, so I'll walk through those. What were some of those symptoms? So, you know, minor twitches and, and tremors, right? Um, they, they come and go, and, uh, and sometimes they stuck around. And it's usually during times of higher stress, right? So, um, so I would just think that, you know, I was, it was in the middle of the dot-com boom. I was, in, I was, a, I was a programmer at the time for, uh, um, for Microsoft, and it's just a lot of pressure on, on somebody uh, – who was as, as young as I was, I thought, at the time to be working so many hours. Um, and I just thought it was stress. So why, why go to the doctor if you didn't think anything of it? I didn't. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't go to the doctor. I went out and bought life insurance, and it was during the physical ex- examination of a routine uh, life insurance checkup that the nurse that came and did my physical, um, she told me that she worked in a neurologist's office um and she's like look i'm not she never mentions the word parkinson's she never even uh, even given an indication of what a diagnosis might be she said look i just want you to encourage you to talk to your general practitioner about um the things that we talked about today about your movement about uh these these things that you're feeling that um that you didn't that you thought was nothing so lo and behold um Months later, after talking to my doctor and referrals after referrals after referrals, I found myself sitting in the neurologist's office, head down, in disbelief as I was being told that I had Parkinson's. Take me into that room. Um, it's, it, it, it's, I, I think shock was the, is the best way that I can, I can describe it. Um, I was so sure that nothing was wrong. Up until this point, I was so sure that it was stress. It was, it was playing a lot of golf that caused the you know the the rigidity and the stiffness that I was feeling. Um, I was so sure that that they're going to tell me that hey, you know what, just take it easy for a little bit, go take a vacation, you're going to be fine. Um, I was not expecting Parkinson's. It, it was the furthest word from from my mind uh, to be expecting, and it was just shock and disbelief. At, at the diagnosis. I mean, how could it be? Are you sure? Um, and uh, I think I, I even swore at my doctor. Um, and I'm like, you know, you're effing crazy, right? Um, because for me, what I knew about Parkinson's was it is an old person's disease. There's no way a person who's 27 years old can possibly have it. Um, so, it's, so I think I went directly into denial. Who did you tell first? Uh, nobody, not even my wife. Um, I kept it from her for a good three months after that, uh, after my initial diagnosis. Wow. So you just held on to that. 
What was that like? What was that like going through every day, just having that secret? Uh, you know, it's it it, it it slowly it slowly burrowed its way out from the inside. You know, um, because now I've, I've come to the realization of the diagnosis, then now everything that I was feeling is all of a sudden being amplified. And anything that was not normal in my daily life, I'm thinking, is this the Parkinson's? Is this the Parkinson's? Or is it just something else? And ultimately, it just started to, to just dig and dig and dig. And, and it came to the point where um, I agreed with my doctor that I would I would try to take medication and, and see if I can... Um, continue to live the life that I, that I know by masking a lot of these symptoms. And it was at that point that I finally had to tell her because then she'd be wondering, well, why are you taking these, these medications and, and what is it for? So only until then, which is when I decided I needed to tell her. What was the fear that you had? I was, it, it was a fear of the unknown, really. Um, I was 27 years old. You know, to me, I have a whole lifetime ahead of me. And we, you know, Cheryl and I were talking about kids um, at that time. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to raise a family living with Parkinson's? Because the first thing you, first thing you do is you, you, your, your mind takes you, fast forwards you to, uh, to what you think you know about Parkinson's, right? Which again, in my mind, it was, was, you know, it's a disease for, for an old person. And it was, um, disease that robs you of of your ability to ability to move and to and um Cheryl would have to weigh it on me hand and foot and she had to care for me uh and since I was diagnosed at such a young age would that happen sooner or, or later I just didn't know and and that was my biggest fear was just not knowing what's going to happen yeah, I think that uncertainty is what gets us all. Like, I, I, I went there too. I flash forward into the future, and I'm like, I, I don't want to be a burden to my family. Absolutely, absolutely. And and one of the one of the hardest things that I that that I did for myself was, um, I, I walked into a a support group, and I walked into a group um, of, of advanced patients with Parkinson's. Uh, and people who's had it for 30 years or, or more. Right. Right? That's shocking. It, it, it really is. And, and that really scared me. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why I went into even deeper denial and just closed myself off uh, from, from the disease period. Um, I just, I simply ignored it. I took the pill. I never went back to my uh, neurologist, didn't even do research on, on the disease. Uh, that pamphlet that they gave me, the booklet that they gave me the day I was diagnosed, um, never had a crease in it because I never opened it. Okay, let's, let's go back. You're sitting Cheryl down to tell her what's going on. Well, how's, mm-hmm. that, how's that conversation go? Uh, I, from, what, from what I recall, it was pretty casual. <laughs> I sat her down and I said, Hey, you know, I've been going to the doctors and, and this is what they're telling me uh, that they think that you know, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's and, and it was a shock to her. She's like, what, what, what the, you know, what are you talking about? I, I think if I take this pill, I'm going to be just fine. We're, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue with our plans, raise a family. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to move forward with, a, with a career plans. What do you think you learned about yourself during that time? Um, I essentially confirmed what everyone else knew is that I was stubborn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I convinced myself that one day I'm going to wake up and my doctor's going to tell me that, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Troy, we made a misdiagnosis. You actually have a tumor in your head that once we remove it, you're going to be perfectly fine. Now think about it this way. Think about this, what I just said, right? Think about wow. this. i rather have a tumor in my brain than Parkinson's. <laughs> And that's, that's my thought process was one day they're going to tell me that they found a tumor in my brain and that that was better than having Parkinson's. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I tell, I've talked to my wife about it. I've said, you know, I'd almost wish this was a deadly disease because then I'd know what to expect. Well, you got five years. All right, let's make the best of these five years. You, you know what? I, you and I are a lot alike. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, because, you know, along with that, along with that, uh, that denial, uh, came depression a little bit further down that first eight years. Uh, and, 
and I'll be honest with you, at one point I remember thinking to myself that this really isn't the life that I intended to live. Yeah. I never went as far as thinking about taking my own life, but I went as far as thinking that, you know, if I died, it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, right? there, with, I've been there. Yeah. Like if I was, if I was in a car accident, you know, and I died, oh, well, you know what? That's maybe, not bad. Maybe it would free up my wife so she could live a, a, the life I, she expected. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and during those eight years, um, there, there's, there were moments where, where I know that I was not myself. Like for, right? for example, what? Uh, when Karina was born, uh, my first child, I would lose my temper and just scream at her. And, and I could see myself standing over her just screaming. And just imagine a, you know, a 30 something year old man, standing over an 18-month child and just aiming at the top of my lungs. I was angry because, you know, she spilled a little juice, no big deal. But it, it was hard for me to clean up that juice because it, it, it took a lot of effort for me to have to clean that up. Jimmy gained a lot of weight during those eight years. He was inactive, inattentive, started walking with a cane. He admits he wasn't a very engaged husband or father. Um, I was walking down the stairs with my then eight-month-old son, his name is Mason, and we fell down the stairs. Uh, what? You... Yeah, the two, the two of us fell down an entire flight of stairs. Oh. Uh, and, as, a dad, uh, that, as a dad, that's got to be, it's a nightmare. It is. It, 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 it really is. And and the, the, the other worst part about this is that my wife and my daughter witnessed the fall. Oh, they stay, They watched... They watched as we as we tumbled down these stairs. Um, thank goodness Mason was okay; he was fine. But that really that was my moment. That was my rock bottom moment. I had to make a decision then and there whether and what I was what I was going to do with my life. Am I going to try to be uh, the dad and the husband that my family deserves, or am I really just throwing in the towel? And you chose. I chose to make a better version of myself from that moment on. And the first thing I did, remember that, that booklet and that pamphlet that I said I never opened? Yeah. I opened it up. Good for you. I opened it up and I went online and I think all of us did this at, at, at one point. Um, we all did this. We all, opened the, we all we opened up the internet browser and we typed in the words, uh, find me a cure for Parkinson's mm -hmm. because it's out there. We, we're going to be the ones to find it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but lo and behold, what I found was that's not the case. There is no cure for Parkinson's. Um, what I did find was that there, there are, there are people in China and Russia that would gladly cure you for, for if you wired them, <laughs> if you wired them ten thousand dollars in advance. <laughs> um, but then, and they would they, they have they have a cure for you, right? The, but only those people that I found. But clearly, those were uh, scams. Um, but what else I did find was uh, was really the start of my calling, um, and and that was to um, to participate in clinical trials. I found trial after trial after trial that was available out there that uh that they, they were starving for participants yeah. you know they, they were filling they're trying to fill these trials for eight ten twelve months and they can't get people in it in, in in it i'm like well why not why don't people want to sign up for these things to try to help find a cure um so you know going back to remember i told you i had the mentality of if i died that wouldn't be the worst thing yeah that, I, I took that mentality into clinical trials. I said, you know what? I would sign up for the riskiest of all trials. And if they gave me a, a, an experimental drug or a procedure and it killed me, I gave up my body for, for, for the better of, uh, of, of research and, and, and I didn't have to live with the disease anymore and that wouldn't be the worst thing. How did your wife feel about you doing all that? Um, so I never told her that part about <laughs> There you <laughs> about, go again, you know, keeping secrets from your wife. Yeah. That, that well, never you ends know, up well. <laughs> and you're right, it, it, it doesn't. How did you go from clinical trials to running marathons? One thing that I noticed in participating in all these trials is that there's always some physical uh, component 
to a, a, a trial, whether it's whether it's part of a questionnaire. Do you exercise? How much do you exercise? What type of exercise do you do? So you're taking part in, in clinical trials that actually uh, had physical components to it, like a, like a, a stationary bike study. Or that I took part in, or a, uh, a forced exercise program that I took part in. What I realized is that the more I did, the better I felt. You know, I just started walking around the block, you know, with with my family. And then when I built the more confidence in the way that I moved, I I leave the cane at home and see how far I can get uh, before I would need it. Um, and next thing you know, that one block became two blocks. That two blocks became three. Um, and then we were up to a mile, and then I started. I was like, "Hey, you know, what, 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 I wonder what happens if I start jogging a little bit." I set simple, obtainable goals for myself. Um, so I said to myself, "You know what? Let's run a 5K first. So I set my goals to to train for a 5K and run for a 5K. How did it feel when you completed the 5K? Oh, it, it, it felt like I it felt like I I I, I won the gold medal in, 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 in an Olympic event. Awesome. Um, because it was the first time I had ever completed a, a run of that distance. And what I realized is that as I was training for this, um, I would share my training experiences with my close friends and they would all be very supportive. It, it removed that, what I always call the, the elephant in the room, the Parkinson's elephant in the room. Hey man, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, things are fine. There's, there's no more of that. Right now, they know that I have Parkinson's. They come in, they ask the questions. Hey, how is exercise going? How you, you know, is, is, is it helping you? Um, and then after that, we start talking to each other, like, like they talk to me, like I'm Jimmy again. When you can drop all the BS and right. stop lying to them about how you feel, and you can be honest, how does that impact you personally? Oh, it's it's like a it's like a a, a weight that's been lifted. Um, off of your shoulders because you're no longer hiding, right? You don't have to, uh, we talked about you know, sitting on your hands. We talked about, uh, you know, sticking your hands in your pocket and, and crossing your legs and you don't have to do that anymore. You know, you don't have, you can be yourself. You can let loose and that, re- that, that releases the tension, that releases the stress. People are, are generally good people, right? Um, and if you share your experiences, there will be, if they're your true friends, your, your family members, they're going to be there to support you. And those are the people that you want close to you. You need the positivity. You need the support that you would get from those who are willing to, to, to hang out with you, regardless of what condition you have. So the 5K turned into 100 half marathons or more, 15 marathons, an ultra marathon. Mm-hmm. Raised over $250,000 for charity. The first thing that I want people to understand is that it didn't come overnight, right? My first 5K was April of 2012. But it's just it's because I kept putting uh, one foot in front of the other. I wanted to make yes, uh, today better than yesterday. Whether, if, whether or not it's just one more step that I was taking today, it just had to be more than yesterday. At least that's my goal. Many times, often, more often than not, I fail that goal, right? But I, my mentality is to come back the next day and try again. How's uh, Cheryl adapting to being a care partner? Um, you know, she is my greatest cheerleader, and um, I think she has taken she has taken on the role uh, like a champ. And, and I, again, I heard her talking about this with other people um, that. The, the, the tendency for caregivers is to help their, their partner um, with everything, right? Oh, here, let me cut that stay for you. Or here, let me um, help you tie your shoes. Or let me help you do this and that. But Cheryl's attitude is, you know what? Jimmy's a big boy. Let him try it. Let him fail. And let him ask for help, okay? Because... If I didn't try things for myself, again, going back to the attitude of if I didn't try for myself, how do I know? How do I really know that I can't do it if I don't try for myself? Okay. What secret are you keeping from her today? (laughs) Um, I'm not keeping any secrets from (laughs) her today. (laughs) Um, All all of my activities is is, is an open book for her. Um, My treatment plans is an open book. 
you know, every, everything we do, we do together. Since our first chat, Jimmy's retired from his job. He was this close from getting DBS surgery, and his daughter Karina appeared on American Ninja Warrior Jr. I caught up with him recently, and he answered questions for my son Henry, who's a big fan of Ninja Warrior and Jimmy Choi, and has been honing his ninja skills at the Momentum Ninja Training Center in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. Yeah, what you got? Fire away. How do you do the spider wall? The spider wall? Yeah. You, you, so when you get in there, here, let, let me stand up. Oh. When you actually get into that wall, you want to make sure your hands are actually facing down. Yeah. Okay. This way you get more power to push this way than you do if your hands are up here. Yeah. And this also, if you start sliding, you can just jam your forearm right into that wall too. It gives you more gripping area. Yeah. Okay. And then also wipe your feet down before you get in so you can stick to the side more because that's the only part of your feet that you're using is the front half of your feet. So you get in there, hands are down, and just push out. Wow. It's really all about where your arms are, pushing out. So it's your triceps. Okay. Okay. So to work your triceps, if you do push ups, put your hands close together. And then that really works those triceps. Right here. Oh, ah. that's kind of cool, right? Okay, because when you do regular push-ups, your hands are out here, right? Yeah. Move your hands closer. You can try it. If you're getting on the ground, try it. You'll really feel the triceps here. Okay, so, so it's like this. Like almost, yep, just like that. Now try to do a push-up. Watch out for that box. Now go all, go all, go all the way down. Start on your knees if you have to, uh, but you got to go all the way down. Okay. All right. That's, you're getting like special ninja training. Why do you like Ninja Warrior? What do I like about it? I like that everything is hard. Just because you're failing and you're falling all the time, I fall all the time. I fall a hundred times before I get an obstacle right. Yeah. You know, just like your dad, I live with Parkinson's and really uh, challenging ourselves is really important. So... Every time I fail at something, I'm learning something new about my body and how I can really work and try to get better. Yeah. Oh. So now Karina's your daughter, and she's doing ninja training. Yep. She was on season one of American Ninja Warrior Junior. Whoa. Did you guys know that? No, I didn't know that. No. Hey, check it out. She's so fast. Go, go. Yeah. Hit it, hit it. Oh, she got it. Yeah. How did we miss that? I, I don't know. See how close that is? Yeah. So close. It's amazing. Oh. <laughs> that was so close. You taught her well, Jimmy. I had a bunch of tra training was coming up. Then they got all canceled. I know. I know. That's too bad. Hey, you know what? You've got a door frame there. You can... Sorry, Dad. You can climb on the door frame and do pull-ups. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> That's hard. Do it. So if you look on the door, the top of that door, yeah, you do. You go reach up in the top. You do pull-ups on top of the door. Can you do that? Oh, he's strong. It takes a lot of finger strength. Okay, so I would put some pillows down before you try it, or Larry help him up a little bit. Oh no, I'm gonna let him fall. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Come here. I need get some pillows. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll spot you and I'll pull up. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a a lot of finger strength, a lot of finger strength. Okay, he is uh, strong. Yeah, he yeah, is. Yeah. So who do you think Henry would win if Jimmy and I went head to head in Ninja Warrior? <laughs> I said probably Jimmy Choi. Uh, probably Jimmy Choi. <laughs> you are the best. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and now it's my turn to catch up with Jimmy. I started with his experience preparing for deep brain stimulation. How did you make the decision when you when you were going down the DBS route? How did you make the decision to get get it done? Was it easy? No, it wasn't. Um, in fact, it was probably three years in the making. Um, when I started becoming really dyskinetic, uh, and I remember it was uh, actually back in like 2016, 2017, I was still running a lot of marathons. Um, dystonia was kicking in bad every time I ran a marathon. Um, when I started Ninja Warrior training, uh, I just couldn't keep my body still. And it was absolutely in, in, impossible to do precision obstacles. Re later, I realized that I am, I, I need to take more medicine. I need to take more meds and it's just going to make the dyskinesia worse. Um, my, uh, my times where I'm, I'm actually really able to perform is dwindling. Every year is dwindling. 
you know, because now when you take medication, there's that period of dyskinesia until the medicine, your, your synthetic dopamine wears enough where you're stable, right? But then you get that window between stable and off. It's smaller and smaller. And that was really the driving decision for me to, um, to really look into DBS. What's the rigidity feel like for you? When rigidity hits, my range of motion is diminished by, I would say, at least 60%. It starts start shuffling and really start to drag um, because you're not bending your knees. You're not picking up your hips. Your hip flexors aren't moving. Um, your entire leg is just, it's just not picking up off the ground. And the only option you have then is just to slide that entire leg. Slide that foot. <laughs> you just drag it along with you. That's the only option you have, right? Uh, last I saw you, you were like days away from DBS and then it didn't happen. What, what happened? Yeah, um, I was scheduled for DBS uh, last September. So September of 2019, I was scheduled for DBS. Um, all the paperwork was done. All the approvals were done. Insurance, everything was, was done. And I'm ready to go. And then just right about, uh, right about towards the end of July, um, one, of, one of my good friends turned me on to this new um, tactile stimulation trial that's happening. And it's not even a, a, a trial. It's, it's a pilot program, really. Um, and this is run out of Stanford in California. Uh, by Dr. Peter Tass. Um, him and his team over there have this uh, external stimulator, electrical stimulator that basically is supposed to mimic the effects of deep brain stimulation, except on a much lower frequency and a much lower uh, um, voltage. Okay, so it's to the point where they deliver it from outside of the body. So it's non-invasive. And how do they do it? It's like magic gloves, right? Yeah. So we put on these gloves and all this, the, the stimulation, uh, you know, goes through the hands. Um, and the, there, I mean, just like any, any type of experimental treatment, there's good and bad to it. Right. Um, the good thing is I happen to experience a lot of benefits from it in terms of, in terms of my symptoms, my overall movement, my brain to muscle connection, a lot of that has improved. In fact, my legs hasn't, my right leg has not tremored since last August. I mean, that's gone. I haven't, it hasn't, it hasn't moved you know, on its own since last August. How, now, how, how, do you, how do you use them? How often, how long? Uh, this, this is the downside because you got to put these gloves on and they are um, pretty gnarly in terms of their size and, and the comfort level when you put them on. And you have to wear them for four hours a day. Whoa. Yeah. So this is, here's the trade-off, right? Um, and four hours a day, some people are doing it while they sleep. Some people are doing it when they're awake only. I do it typically when I'm awake. And because I mentioned I've been retired now. I have a lot of time at home. When the kids were off at school, I had time to sit there and just, just do it. If you, um, if you have constipation, you could just do it while you're on the toilet. Yeah, absolutely. And when I'm, when I'm flying, I just put it on and I'm on the airplane and, I, and I'll do it. Remember when we used to be able to fly? Uh, yeah. What, what, how long ago <laughs> was that? Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know so, since when I left work, I became a full-time motivational speaker. And in times like this, Motivational speakers don't have a lot of work, right? <laughs> well, you're, you're still motivating people. You've got the videos uh, going on. You've got exercise classes. You know, how can people how can people join you with your uh, with your exercise class? So they can just go on JC Fox Ninja on Instagram or on Facebook, and uh, you'll be able to find that link to the Zoom and just click on it, and off they go. 5 p.m. Central Time every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Now you're 17 years. Since your Parkinson's diagnosis, can you believe that? 17 years. That's correct. What do you know now that you wish you knew then? Oh, geez. Everything. Everything. Um, of course, if I hadn't, had I known then that the, uh, how therapeutic um, exercises and how really mentally healing having a really close inner circle is when it comes to support and when it comes to people that you share uh, information with that are like-minded, okay? Um, having that as a support system, as that inner circle is probably right up there with exercise for me. I, I, you can't have one without the other, for me at least, right? Exercise is gonna help you 
move better, but you're not going to have the motivation to do the exercise if you don't have that support system to, that surrounds you. You know, I mean, you asked the question about COVID-19 and how we're all dealing with during this pandemic. I don't think I would be able to keep myself motivated to exercise and work out every day, sitting at home with everybody in the house um, and not being able to go to the gym if there weren't other people out there pushing me and say, hey, Jimmy, what are you doing today in terms of exercise? What are we going to do today? And that's the key there is what are we going to do today, right? It's not just me or, or you. It's what are we going to do? Well, let's go out there and kick some ass. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, what I like to do, I like to log on to your exercise class and then log on to Tim Hag's exercise class and just do the warm up. <laughs> but hey, we all got to start somewhere, right? And and, and and let's 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 be honest. Some of these warm ups aren't warm ups. There are they are exercise circuits in their own. Yeah, I know. I was going to talk to you about that. Can you just keep it a warm up? <laughs> I just respect uh, the hell out of you and everything you're doing. Uh, keep keep doing what you're doing. You're you're really inspiring uh, the the whole community. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, it's, yeah, I put a lot of these videos out and, and everybody, I think everybody understands now that I get about a few hours a day where I'm, when I'm really moving at my top, top percent, top shape. Um, and I just take that opportunity to make these videos. Okay. Yeah. They're, 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 I, I love to share them and they're kind of show offy. Right. But that's who cares. Right. right? It's, I, I am showing up because it is, it is a, it is an achievement for me to be able to do these things. I want to talk about coronavirus and how it's impacting you and self-isolation and you, you getting enough exercise. I'm, I worry about you, Jimmy. No, I mean, as far as the coronavirus is concerned, it, being home is no, is no different for me, at least for the, for the past year. So I'm fortunate from the sense where I'm actually used to being home. My wife still works. Um, and I stay at home. You know, I take care of the kids after school and things like that. So none of that really has changed other than that they're here during the day now. Right. Um, because, and then there's e-learning. So, so e-learning doesn't take a lot, of, a lot of the day. But now, you know, I find ways to, to keep my kids busy. Um, I try to, I've been trying to teach my son how to cook lately. Well, you're a good cook. So what are you cooking these days? <laughs> you know, it, I, I make everything from from Asian inspired to Italian inspired. Lots of noodles. Then I'm hearing I'm hearing noodles. Yeah, you've got noodles. I also make tacos and I also make fusion tacos. So it's not just like your your, your typical like I take oxtail. Right. And I braise it uh, Asian style. But then I use that as the as the meat for the taco itself. But I'll serve the taco traditional Mexican style with cilantro and onion, like no cheese, no lettuce, none of that stuff. Right. Um but then I also make my own, uh, my own like guaca, guacamole mayo sauce to go on top of that, just to give it a little kick. Um, and then, you know, you, for a little crunch, you throw some, some pork rinds on top. You know, what I've been doing more, uh, because since I'm home more, is I'm, I'm smoking meats now. So, like, I do a smoked chicken or, you know, will we'll, you pull out the grill more? It's like, I feel like it's just sort of like my happy place. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, in Chicago, it's been cold. So we haven't been able to get out much. Um, I do have a smoker and I'm, I'm anxious to start breaking that out. When we spoke and you were going to get DBS, you're like, uh, I can't compete anymore on American Ninja Warrior. But now you're not getting DBS. Might we see a return of Jimmy Choi to American Ninja Warrior? You might. You might. So if they will have me, I am more than happy to make another attempt. Is Karina still competing? Oh yeah, absolutely. She's on. She's on the elite team. Um, we both competed in the. Uh, there's a. There's a national ninja league, and we both competed in the world finals in February before everything got shut down. Um, so yeah, she's still. She's still going at it. Um, she absolutely loves it. She's always hanging on this stuff back here that I've got in my basement. Um, in fact, sometimes I wake up in the morning and she's got something set up, and she's like, "Dad, why don't you go try it?" And she's she's challenging me and pushing me. And I'll be honest, some of the stuff that she puts up, I can't do just because I'm, you know, I'm like three times her weight. Yeah, I can barely make coffee in the morning, Jimmy. <laughs> That's why you get those automatic machines. I, <laughs> I'm challenging myself. I'm testing myself. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> I'm holding the glass pitcher under the water, oh. hoping I don't break oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, that, 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 that drill of bringing your cup of coffee from the... In the coffee machine?
over to the table every morning. I, I, yep. Last uh, earlier this week, I, uh, I had bare feet and I was doing that and I burned my feet because the coffee just spilled out of the cup. Yeah, I've broken a lot of glasses because I dropped them. I've broken, you know, a, a lot of I spilled a lot of milk. I spilled a lot of coffee, um, cartons of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> You name it, I've you know I've done it all. You know, one other thing too. This whole uh, pandemic has 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 allowed me to uh, connect online with more and more people. Me too. And and I think that's a good thing, right? Even though we're all virtual, but you know we're having conversations that we otherwise wouldn't have. Well, we were having like them in 134 characters online. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now we get to. I mean, we get Zoom is everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I get to we get to have coffee with Tim Haig. How awesome right? is that, right? Yeah, how awesome is that? You get and you can listen. You can listen to him tell tell stories out of his book and 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 get a little deeper into it because now you've got you have the anecdotes behind what's written in the book, right? Um, so you know, you get to you, you hang out with um, at, with Kathy Keto, right? Yeah, like she 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 does coffee time. Uh, she reads books and and just tells stories. Uh, you know. And we come come up with stupid stuff like trying to break that world record. <laughs> that was great. So tell me about uh, real quick. Tell us tell us about the world record. And, and now, are you in the Guinness? Is it is it officially a world record? Um, not yet, not yet. So uh, to back it up, you know, Bill Bucklew, myself, Peter Leach, and um, and and Eric Johnson are the four of us got together and like you know how can with everything being canceled for Parkinson's Awareness Month, how can we bring awareness? to other people. And that's how we came up with the idea. And to be honest, the idea was came up in the last week of March. <laughs> so we're like, Hey, how do we do this? Now, how do we do it with, with, uh, no, with no, uh, no budget? How do we do it with no, uh, marketing? Right. Well, Bill's like, well, let me look around. So he looked around, he found this world record for number of people, uh, logging into an online exercise class. Now the number there to be was a hundred thousand. Okay. Now at the same time, while we were looking, we also found another record, which is the number of people doing an online exercise simultaneously. Okay. The number there was much smaller. All right. Uh, it was actually less than a thousand to, to break that record. Um, fortunately we didn't break the hundred thousand mark for one record, but we have received enough videos to break the world record yes we have 300 hours of video to co to come through so we have to we have to organize it we have to trim it we gotta prepare it and then once we submit it to guinness which should be hopefully by the end of this month that we're actually able to really submit it to them then they have to review it and they have to review all of that data that we send them Okay, so for in order for us to get the official stamp, it might be until July before we even if, if before we even hear back. Well, that'd be awesome. Well, you, oh, you inspired a lot of people. Awesome. You know, it was it was a it was a blast to put together in two weeks. Um, it, it was a blast to to see all those people come in and just looking at the data behind it. Uh, it was seven thousand people that tuned in. I mean, it was far short from the hundred thousand that we were we were looking for, but with only a week of planning, seven thousand people tuned in. Um, many of them have no connection to Parkinson's. They just want to be a part of a world record. So I think we achieved a little bit of awareness spreading in that sense because hopefully people left with a little bit more knowledge of Parkinson's. So and the lesson here is anybody can can do this. You don't need a budget. You can rally uh, 7,000 people to do something. Yep. And that makes a difference. The more people we can connect with and we can tell our stories to, uh, the better off it is for all of us. Yep. In a week and a half, anything is possible, right? Well, we will look forward to your basement videos. Yes. And of course, yeah, man, join anytime, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I mean, you've been you've been on a couple of times already. Come on back. All right. Join me. We'll have some fun together. Great. Thanks, Jimmy. All right, man. Take care. Jimmy Choi, a keeper of hope, a difference maker, a believer. Be inspired. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast written and produced by me, Larry Gifford. Our story editor is Dila Velazquez. Our sound design by Greg Schott and Rob Johnson. We also want to hear from you. You can record a message for us at speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. Our presenting partner is Parkinson Canada, parkinson.ca. 
One of the programs Parkinson Canada offers is confidential information and referral line. So if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to reach out to info at parkinson.ca or call toll-free 1-800-565-3000. Parkinson Canada colleagues are there for you. They're great listeners and can answer questions on a huge range of topics. If you're interested in hearing more about people with Parkinson's tackling extreme athletic achievements, go back and listen to episode six of season two, Parkinson's is an Extreme Challenge. It's from November 12th, 2019. Jimmy's on there, along with a couple other great friends of mine. My thanks this week to Jimmy Choi and to Henry Gifford and to you for listening. Thanks! I think Jimmy Choi's the best, and he's the best because he trains me sometimes. Bye-bye, everybody! Special thanks to our promotional partners, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young-onset Parkinson's disease. You can find out more about it at spotlightyopd.org. In the U.S., Parkinson's IQ Plus U. This is a free series of Parkinson's events from the Michael J. Fox Foundation to educate and empower people with Parkinson's and their partners. So now these events have been postponed due to COVID-19. We're doing some of it online. Last week, I was the host of a webinar around telemedicine with Dr. Ray Dorsey and Dr. Jamie Martin. Uh, it's great. 1,500 people showed up. It's free. You can still get it. Go to michaeljfox.org. Interested in learning more about Parkinson's and connecting to the community? I encourage you to save the date for the 6th World Parkinson Congress, also known as the WPC 2022, to be held June 7th to 10th in Barcelona, Spain in 2022. We should be able to travel by then. Good Lord. It's the only totally inclusive, totally inclusive scientific conference which opens its doors to people with Parkinson's and their families. We'll be there, Rebecca, Henry, and I. You should come join us. Come on, make plans now. Learn more at WPC2022.org. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give the show a five-star rating. Please share in the comments why you like the podcast. And if there's a specific episode that really resonates with you, can I, can I ask a favor? Can you go to that episode and share it with your social media or email it to your friends? Share this stuff. Use this as inspiration. Um, so maybe you want to send it to your family because it's representative of something that you're feeling, but you can't explain so they can listen to it and then you can talk about it. Uh, I just, I want people to share the pod please. On the next episode, Rebecca and I, just the two of us, will catch up with you on our Parkinson's journey. Uh, if you've got any questions for us, please, please reach out on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also email us, Pod at CuriousCast.ca. Make sure you wash your hands, stay sanitary. Happy Christmas! It's a fun sound, but have fun staying inside. With your parents. Keep positive. Keep positive. Keep listening. Keep exercising. We'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Love everybody. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.